Matt Sreeper, the editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how late did you stay up on Tuesday night? <laughs> yeah, uh, so I took Wednesday off knowing I'd be up late. I was up till a good 4 or 5 a.m., uh, you know, re- refreshing Twitter. And, uh, you know, I, I stayed up later than Nate Silver and Nate Cohn and Dave Wasserman. <laughs> so uh, I beat all the pundits up. And, you know, I literally, literally that night, uh, or, or no, last night, uh, when I went to bed, I, I was still on my phone for a little bit, just reading stuff. And I, I sure couldn't stay away. Like, uh, it was outrageous. So I'm, I've been up for, call it 48-ish hours, give or take. So it's, <laughs> it's been a tough one, but we're going to get there. It's, it'll be worth it in the end. Now, are you a Steve Kornacki guy or a John King guy? Ah, uh, you know what? Very good question. I do like John King. Kornacki is my dude. Uh, he's, I almost went as Kornacki for Halloween <laughs> last year, and nobody would get it, right? Yeah. But I would get it. I wear the khaki shorts, the white shirt, the tie. Uh, but yeah, I like Kornacki. John King's great, but you know, Kornacki's great, and um, you know, just a uh, big fan. Also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I have, for the first time, it's well, it's not really a live performance, but it's as close to it as we can get. Um, I am uh, the Wind Symphony, the Kansas City Wind Symphony, which I um, am, am a member of. Um, we are recording some stuff for YouTube on Sunday, and there's going to be some people in the audience. Um, so uh, it's the first time I'm going to be performing live music in uh, since February, something like that. So that's that's pretty nice. That's pretty cool. Where's uh, that going to be at? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we rehearse and perform at Village Presbyterian Church um, in Prairie Village. Um, and it's, I mean, it's close to the public, but people's spouses and kids will, will be able uh, to, gotcha. to watch. And it's not even like a technically a full rehearsal, you know, um, or a full, you know, performance. It's, um, it's a recording, right? So we have like some, uh, we have four chamber groups that are all going to play. Um, and, uh, you know, short, socially distanced sort of stuff because, you know, being in a big group of 60, 70 people just isn't feasible. So, uh, but that's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, we got a chance to see the Kansas City Symphony a couple weeks ago, kind of out in a parking lot. They were doing a very small show for, for uh, an hour long show. And, uh, it was just like four people from the symphony, but, uh, yeah, it was definitely really cool. And I, we forget that, you know, the symphony, and other symphonies around town I haven't been had a chance to really perform in quite some time, so I'm glad you're getting the opportunity to do that as well. Uh, also joining us today is a very special guest, Alex Duvall, of, uh, formerly of Royals Review, uh, still contributes once in a while, also of Royals Farm Report. Alex, how are you doing? I am wonderful, just kicking back, watching some football, working on a paper and grading some other papers, so been a very, very busy couple of months here. We're getting in the swing of the uh, school, and, and uh, yeah, so I'm, we're glad to have you on uh, with us this week. And, and Alex is joining us today because he, along with Matthew and Sean, participated in our annual off-season simulation project. For anyone that's not familiar with it, each off-season, uh, I like to take 30 fans and let each one of them run a baseball team under real-world world conditions. Uh, so we they, they work out trades with each other. Uh, they negotiate for free agents. Uh, and they, you know, they decide on options and, and non-tenders, uh, really trying to operate as close to we, as we can to kind of non, uh, real world, condi- world conditions in a three-day period. So kind of a condensed uh, simulation. Uh, you know, it's mostly for fun, but I think it also gives us maybe a little bit of a perspective of what it's like to run a team uh, because we always think, oh, why don't they just trade this guy for like that team's three best prospects? But when you have someone actually on the other end of that trade, um, you know, you, you realize how difficult it can become to, to kind of work out the ideal trade for your team. So, uh, Matthew, I did want to start with you since you ran the Royals. Um, you pulled off, I think, one of the more interesting deals, acquiring Joe Adele from the Angels for, for Salvador Perez, Whit Merrifield, and Richard Lovelady. What was kind of your philosophy going into this thing for the Royals, and, what, and how did that trade kind of go down? Yeah, so by the time you hear this, um, there will be a post up on Rose Review that you'll be able to read uh, my more um, expanded thoughts on on the uh, situation. But basically, what I I knew that I wanted to get um, some position player prospects um, in the system um, and some real quality ones at, at that if I could. And that's because if you take a look at the system, you know the strength is pitching, which is you know very um, very strong. 
right? Um, but their position player prospects, their best ones just all really had a down year in 2019 and in 2020. Um, you know, they were, uh, there, was, there was no minor league season, right? So um, what I wanted to do was I wanted to get some premier um, high upside um, position player talent. And to do that, basically that requires trading Whit Merrifield. He's the one um, sort of premier um, trade asset that the Royals have. So I knew that I wanted to trade Whitmerfield and, if possible, to get the um, uh, you know the the best position player prospect that I could and get a type of player that um, you know the Royals currently don't have in their system. Um, so I engineered a trade actually with Alex, um, who was running the Los Angeles Angels, um, and. I knew that I wanted to get um, either Joe Adele um, or I think uh, oh now I'm blanking on his name is Marsh is the the second no, Brandon, Brandon Marsh yeah Brandon Marsh yeah so I know I wanted to get one of those two now Joe Adele um, is a consensus like top ten player uh, uh, prospect excuse me in in the minor leagues um, thereabouts and at least if not top ten top twenty five right so he's near the top of the of the list um, and. Um, so I originally wanted to take on some salary in addition to trading Whit Merrifield because I knew that I'd be trading some guys, um, and I'd have the salary to do it. Right. So, um, we, we tried to get a trade with, uh, Albert Pujols to send his $30 million to the Kansas City Royals for next year. But, um, his agent, <clears throat> Max, <laughs> uh, declined his no trade, uh, deal. Um, cause he has a no, no trade clause. So, which I think is probably fair, you know, in, in real life, I don't think Pujols would want to go from, you know, a team like the Los Angeles angels, um, to a team like the Royals, but you never know with his ties to metropolitan community college anyway. So, <laughs> um, so the idea was to trade Whit Merrifield, um, for either, uh, Marsh or, or Adele. And sure enough, uh, we, we were able to work out a deal for Adele. Um, I also shipped out uh, Salvador Perez. Um, he's in his last year of his contract next year. Um, and then uh, Richard Lovelady as well. Um, and for what it's worth, I think Richard Lovelady is going to be a, a good reliever, but he doesn't seem to have really a, a, a future with the Royals organization. So, you know, that really kind of made sense uh, for me. Um, so, yeah, so we traded those three players for Joe Adele. Um, none of that monkey business with um, Albert Pujols and his giant contract. Um, and, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what, what our readers sort of think about it. Um, you know, generally speaking, um, when the, the post, the recap post goes up, people will comment. Uh, and there will be a poll, and you can grade me if you think I did great or if you think I did a crappy job. Um, but I think it's sort of a trade that benefits both sides because the Angels get – um, a, a catcher of a talent that they really don't have. Um, and they also get Merrifield, who can play multiple positions very well. And they get a quality left-handed reliever who's making the league minimum. And in return, the Royals get a, I think, one their best position player prospect since Will Myers, since they traded Will Myers in 2012, really. Um, so that was the main deal that I did. I did a lot of other stuff. I ended up, up trading Hunter Dozier. I didn't, like mean to do it initially but it just sort of worked itself out that way um i traded josh stamont similar thing i didn't mean to trade him but the you know offer was too good um and i ended up trading jorge soler as well who is also in the last year of his contract um and you know unless the royals decide to um extend him which they could um they'll probably you know not get anything back from him when he walks in free agency. And I don't think they would be, you know, the type to give a qualifying offer to him. Um, and I, yeah, I probably wouldn't give a qualifying offer to him, uh, if I were the Royals. So, um, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of, um, information, more information that you'll see in, in the post itself. But yeah. Um, Alex, what do you think about, uh, your side of the, the trade? It's always interesting to see like the two sides of any given trade. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause I think we, we did. We had like opposite approaches to this, where you took an approach of, here's what I would do if I was GM, and here's what I think the Royals should do, blah blah blah. And I took an approach that was quite the opposite, where, you know, if I wanted as the Angels, I wanted to trade Pujols and Justin Upton, who are both on full no trade, so it wouldn't worked anyway. But I was taking offers on Anthony Rendon before we made our deal, just to see if I could 
move some salary. I was going to trade literally anybody on that roster knowing that that was going to deplete the Angels for another year or two. But can we build a team around Brandon Marsh, around Joe Adele, around Mike Trout that in three years is a legitimate World Series contender instead of a no, not a playoff team? And then I kind of stopped and thought about it because the offers for Rendon were good, not great. And I thought, okay, what would the Angels most likely do? They, they'd most likely try to make sure that they quit squandering Mike Trout's prime um, which is where, personally, I'd have Joe Adele closer to that 25 number um, than like I think I, I think he's a pretty much a top five prospect in baseball everywhere I've seen. I'd have him closer to 25. The swing and miss, the holes in the swing, worry me a bit. Um, and, and getting an all-star catcher who's started the all-star game for the American League several times, the Gold Gloves, the Silver Sluggers, another all-star in Whit Merrifield. You know, at the at the time, my lineup looked something like Wit, excuse me, Salvi, Mike Trout. Um, I still had Brandon Marsh in the system. Still Shohei Otani. Still have Anthony Rendon. And and now you have a star-studded lineup, up and down. Um, and even if the pitching wasn't there yet, I ended up going to get some pitching. But um, anytime I think you can add a player like Salvi and Wit to your lineup, I think you're 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 winning no matter who you trade. It, any, no matter what prospect you trade, and I think the, the the big difference there is, you know, I got I think I got great value for it, but like the the idea of trading Salvi brings up the interesting conversation that like a player like Salvador Perez in a market like Kansas City, I don't know if we truly understand how we can value that, and I think we're getting ready to see it in Cleveland with Lindor on the move, but Salvi's on the field value is one thing, but I don't think we'll ever fully understand like what his off-the-field value is to the city, to the franchise, to the organization. Like, it, it, it's, it's a very rare occurrence, and I don't even mean to imply that Salvi is somehow on the level of Mike Trout, but without Mike Trout, L.A. would move on. Like, L.A. would still be fans of L.A. There's, there's so many people in L.A., but Salvi, like, has this, has this weird cult following in Kansas City that I don't really know that we can put a value on what he means to Kansas City so I do kind of wonder sometimes if you know we have rose colored glasses for for Salvi specifically maybe other teams wouldn't see the value that I got as being enough for Odell but as a Royals fan um, with those rose colored glasses on I thought the value was tremendous no I think there's a lot behind what you're saying I think that's I think Dayton Moore has actually kind of talked about that a little bit and maybe we, we mock it a little bit, you know, when he talks about, you know, the kids looking up to like Whit Merrifield, uh, you know, and if we trade him, who would they look up to? But I think there is something to do that. I mean, like, look at the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, winning cures all in a lot of ways, but they've had trouble building that fan base. And I know the stadium location is a big part of that, but part of that's also they, they kind of churn guy, you know, there's a lot of churn there uh, where they're kind of going, you know, going through guys. Uh, and, and then a lot of guys don't stay very long. Cleveland, too. I mean, Cleveland has had a lot of success uh, in the regular season, came very close to winning it all, but yet you haven't really seen them have, uh, you know, the attendance figures they had in the 90s because everyone knows that you're, they're probably going to trade guy a guy uh, uh, at his maximum kind of value, which is smart. I mean, you know, they were smart to kind of trade Trevor Bauer when they did and get good value, you know, get something back uh, because they knew he was going to leave. It's, it was smart to get something for Corey Kluber right before he kind of, uh, you know, landed on the injured list. Uh, it's probably smart to, to trade Mike Clevenger when they did, but it's hard to build a fan base that way when they know everyone's going to leave. Um, but so I don't know. It's, it's two different ways to take things. And I think that's, to me, that's what sticks out the most about the simulation is that it's easy for Matthew Lamar, uh, fake GM, to trade fake Salvador Perez and Whit Merrifield uh, in a big deal. It's a lot harder for, I think, Dayton Moore to look at these guys with Salvador Perez, who uh, I believe they signed, you know, as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid, Whit Merrifield, who they drafted, and they've seen these guys come up through the minors and become, you know, part of that clubhouse, and they see them day in, day out, working hard, and they know what those guys mean to the clubhouse and the city, and then to, to, to go out and trade them for, you know, some prospect who's a great pro. I love Joe Adele. I think he's outstanding, um, but we don't know what he's going to end up being as a big leaguer. Uh, yeah, I can see why a lot of general managers would have kind of cold feet about that. So, uh, yeah, and 
sorry, but in turn, though, like when we look at that from the other side, like I think it's the the simulation. You know, if fans of other teams are reading, you know, what other what other people are writing about their team or what, like what their recap may look like, it also helps them get like outsider value mm-hmm. on their own players. So like like if if an Angels fan would have seen that I traded Adele for Salvi and Witt, and they're like, oh man, that's you know maybe they thought for some reason that I didn't get enough value for them to say, okay, well. You know, we obviously love Adele for the same reasons you just said. We drafted him when he was young. We saw him do the work to make himself a top prospect in baseball. We're going to trade him and, it, and maybe give some perception of to what other people around Major League Baseball perceive your players as. Yeah, and I think that's that's really interesting. Um, I so the last two years, I've I've done the Royals. I've sort of taken um, Old Man Dugan's uh, mantle, as it were, of being being the Royals uh, manager. Um, but uh, in the past couple of years, like Alex and like Sean, um, you know, some of the Royals review staff have filled in for teams that you know don't have uh, somebody um, or you know can't uh, nobody can do it from from that uh, SB Nation site. Um, and it's very different walking in and saying, okay, who are these players in the say White Sox organization, you know, that I um, don't know about, that I don't really have any emotional connection to. Um, you know, I look at fan graphs and I say it has says, you know, 40 plus future value or whatever. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. I can ship them out for a guy who has, you know, maybe one year uh, of control. Um, but as a Royals fan, like, I don't know, like, would you ship Nick Prado, who's kind of a similar valuation, um, out, you know? And it's just very interesting. As as fans of a team, any fan of a team will overvalue their own prospects just based on, you know, the knowledge and you develop, uh, you know, uh, you, tendencies to to like a player for whatever reason you know um but if you are like alex or like sean this time and you're managing some other team it also is maybe a little easier to deal uh, a prospect that you don't have that emotional connection to or you you know haven't uh, necessarily um your rose colored glasses haven't affected your judgment and so that's that's also really interesting and it's 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 fascinating to see what other teams value your prospects are um in real time um when you are um manning your own team uh, like i was with the royals versus manning somebody else's team you know the the emotional connection right there and you know isn't there and that that difference in value is is something that's that's really kind of kind of interesting um and you know, I'm, I'm curious to see, like Sean, you you haven't managed the Royals like at all. Um, you've just managed, you know, a different team every year. So how how is that like? Uh, it's a little different, you know. I would feel okay. So it would be easier. Maybe the wrong word, but it would be. I can't think of another word for easier. But uh, obviously, all of us know the Royals kind of system and fan base and roster and and front office think a little bit better than we know any other organization so i mean i've done cleveland the pirates the marlins the dodgers this year um i'm missing someone uh so you know i bounced around right alnl central you know you name it i've been on uh, in all the different uh, <laughs> leagues and divisions um so it's it's different in the sense of having to kind of quickly immerse yourself um, and this is no offense to Max, but maybe maybe a few days before the sim starts, I find out what team I have. So from there, you know, I've got to start looking like. And again, Max, I'm not. It's just the way it is, and I totally get it. Um, I know you can handle any team. Yes, thank you, thank you. And so that's the thing. It's like okay, I've got a few days now. Um, I think I maybe found out on Tuesday or so that I for sure was going to do the Dodgers, and so it's like okay, so now I have a few days to kind of look at the roster, look at the contracts. I roughly know most orgs, like prospect-wise. Um, you know, I could have told you who's the top five guys in the Dodger system to begin with. Um, so I'm familiar with a lot of it, and obviously I know who you know Mookie Betts and Corey Seager are. So it's not too tough in that sense, but it is different um, each year bouncing around. Uh, my goal, I would say, stays the same every year. I'm a, I care a lot about the long term, right? So uh, my goal is always to try to imp- depending on the org. So for Cleveland and same for the Dodgers, it was you know how do we make future contracts look better while also balancing or improving the current roster. Um, so I think I did that fairly well this year. Um, moved some contracts. Obviously brought on some big pieces I was happy with and. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's it just varies by org. Whereas opposed to the Royals, it'd be fairly easy. It's mainly just tear down uh, for the past few years. So um, uh, it's an enjoyable experience. So, you know, what I try to do is I try to get fans of the teams to run to run their team. So, you know, I go to Camden ch- chat and get a, try to get an Orioles fan to run their team, Pinstripe Alley to find a Yankees fan. You, you know, well, usually we get a pretty good response for that. There's always a couple teams that we can't fill spots, and that's where I uh, usually get a couple pinch hitters. Alex, I think, has helped out the last couple of years. Sean has helped out uh, four or five years in a row now, uh, and they do a great job. of. They usually, cause I know they know their stuff and or can, at least can be up to uh, speed with that organization pretty quickly. So I do appreciate you guys doing that. Yeah, um, yeah I thought you pulled off a couple interesting deals. Um, you talk about moving some contracts. You got David Price off the payroll. You brought in uh, Francisco Lindor talking about the Indians trading guys. Um, you know, everyone in real life is expecting Francisco Lindor to get traded. In the simulation, you ended up getting him from Cleveland for Chris Taylor, Gavin Lux, and a couple of prospects. Um, how did that deal? I mean, was it was that a difficult deal to, to engineer, or is that something that kind of came apart pretty quickly? No, I thought it was fairly smooth. Um, most of the guy, well, not most, but a few, uh, I should say, of the people that are in the sim managing teams like like Rob Huff at, with the Cubs. He's there every year, right? So there's a couple people that we know that we've always got back and forth with. Um, I didn't know Cleveland's GM, or I didn't recall him. Apologies um, from prior years. Uh, I think he was so, another pinch it, hitter. He wasn't He wasn't a real okay. Indians fan. He was just a guy that wanted to, to participate. Gotcha. Okay. Um, it, it, and I'll say real quick as a sidebar. So I did. So you said Cambridge at the Orioles was the other team that I've run before. Um, and my favorite thing to do is after the sim is over, I'll go make a fan shot on a fan post on their on that team's site, their blog, and I just get lit up every year. <laughs> it, it, it's it, every year. It's the exact same thing. And the Red Sox. When I did the Red Sox not too long ago, I got absolutely torn down. People were arguing with me about Rosny Castillo's contract. Like, it should really be fifty-two million dollars, not forty-eight million. I was like, you know what? Stop. So <laughs> well, people do that even uh, to so, the people that are their fan. The fans are like, oh, you, you, know, you totally misvalued this guy, which just shows like, right? You know, everyone's got different valuations for guys. Like, you know, Alex may not like Joe Adele as much as you know this another guy may th- think he's the best prospect in baseball. So, you know, it, it's everyone's yeah. got their different opinions. Yeah. So uh, I was happy to get Lindor. Um, as the shortstop, but um, feel really good about it. I picked up J.D. Davis, who I was happy about, moved Price, um, was able to move, or didn't move Joe Kelly, tried to, but just wasn't able to, uh, didn't need to, I guess you should say, um, once I cleared Price and cleared A.J. Pollock. Um, so I felt pretty good about the team. Uh, Josh Hader, I'm a big fan of. Um, so I don't feel like I gave up too much. Gave up effectively uh, Gavin Lux, who was kind of blocked. Um, once you had... If it comes down between keeping Lindor, who the Dodgers can obviously afford to resign, especially after you move David Price's contract and you've got Kershaw's contract coming up after next year, tons of money. Uh, so I was happy to do that. And once I pick up Seeger, or once I pick up Lindor, kind of makes um, uh, Lux somewhat irrelevant or somewhat uh, blocked. And so I moved him, Josiah Gray, who's like a top 60 ish prospect, then Keybert Ruiz, who isn't Will Smith and isn't quite as good as Austin Barnes. So another guy. So I, I was very happy uh, for what it cost me um, to prove my lineup. And um, I feel good. I, uh, I think I projected give or take 61 um, ish uh, war. Um, so if you add the 44 ish, that's typically the replacement standard uh, 104 wins. And, and obviously that's just a total like estimation. Um, but feel very good. I, I think we are going to have a, a clear division winner um, for there. And, Drop the payroll. I think you had recommended twenty two, two hundred and twenty two ish million. Uh, my calculation is two hundred and seven ish million. Um, so feel feel really good about what happened. But again, Dodgers fans are going to absolutely light me up because I took on Avisel Garcia's contract or some stupid thing like that. So I'm ready for it. <laughs> you know that was kind of an interesting wrinkle. As we, uh, you know, I Rob Huff kind of works with me on on kind of planning for the the, the payrolls and everything like that. And usually what we try to do is just try to do like 5% inflation or something like that. And some teams kind of discuss a little bit what they're going to do. Like I know the Marlins have already said they're going to have a payroll around $100 million. So we, we, we kind of tweaked it. And the, 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 you know, the budget recommendations are just recommendations. I mean, people can exceed it if they want. Although we'll, you know, we'll laugh if they, you know, go $50 million over their, pay, their budget pay, recommended budget. Um, but this year, you know, it was kind of weird because, you know, I told everyone, you know, plan as if, you know, teams just came off, you know, millions of dollars of losses because they did. 
because I want this to kind of reflect what's going to happen in real life a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, I think people still kind of reverted back to, uh, I think people are fairly conservative, but it was still kind of operated like a normal off season. Uh, so, I, you know, it's, it, I think we may be a, a more off than usual just because I am expecting yeah. teams to be really conservative this year. Uh, I, uh, and we'll have to see. I thought, I thought teams did a good-ish job, maybe better than past years, and maybe I'm just thinking of, I don't remember what Bryce Harper ended up going for, uh, whatever it was, a year or two ago. It was, I mean, it was outrageous, right? I, I, it was some yeah, outrageous. It was like $400 million, something, $500 million. I know, yeah, it was a ridiculous. Yeah. Some of the, I mean, the upper end, the, the contracts, get because kind of, we're not right. dealing with real money. Uh, right, exactly. And, and people get caught up in it, I think. So I thought everybody did a decent job of that, of not going too crazy this year. Um uh, although I will say, and this is, you know, Max has the fun of getting to play the agent. I was, I was deadlocked and thinking that I had, I'd signed George Springer for like four one twenty, and I felt really good about it. And then you're like, oh, oh, someone's got like six one eighty out or whatever. I was like, oh, okay, well, forget it. I'm not signing him then. So yeah, I so did he, think, I did think. Go ahead. Uh, well, so here are the top, here are the top free agent contracts that we got signed. So, Trevor Bauer went to the Padres for six years, two hundred fifteen million dollars. Uh, I think he's he's probably going to be the top free agent this year. I don't think he's going to get close to that, but you know we'll see. No. Uh, yeah. JT Real Muto uh, went back to the Phillies for six years, one hundred seventy-two million dollars, which I was surprised it went that high. Uh, George Springer, as you mentioned, uh, kind of very surprising. He, he, I thought you were going to get him, but he went to the Indians, which you know they traded Francisco Lindor, then turned around and signed <laughs> George Springer for six years at one hundred seventy million dollars. So those those are kind of the three like. Uh, that's probably much higher than they're going to get. Uh, the rest of the deals, Marcus Stroman's probably not going to get a hundred million dollars. He got six years, one hundred two million in our simulation. Um, Marcelo Zuna went to the Marlins for four years, a hundred million. That, that's probably up more than he'll get, but that didn't strike me as crazy crazy. Um, <laughs> there was a, an extreme bidding war on Korean shortstop Hai Song Kim, uh, and he ended up going to the Giants for seven years, ninety million. So. Yeah, there's some inflation going around. And what's interesting, though, is at the lower end, like, there's some guys that are probably, in our simulation, went much lower than, than, than uh, what they're going to get in real life. Like, uh, for example, uh, Masahiro Tanaka didn't get much interest at all. He ended up having to sign a two-year, $21 million deal with the um, White Sox. So, you know, uh, yeah. certain, certain guys, I think, seems like uh, a lot of teams focus in on that. That really drives the price up. And that's kind of the weird balance of it, too, is because, like, I just figured I would be out on Tanaka. I would have loved to have him. I would have definitely taken that deal. But I just figured, you know what? I'm not going to be able to afford him, so forget it. I'll let someone else sign him for sixty million or whatever. But yeah, I mean, like that was a really great deal. I'm looking. Well, and at that's the on list. me, the agent uh, too. I mean, it's just me not being able to pump up, you know, interest in him, and you know, no, which uh, I probably would if we, I had more time and more, you know. Yeah, we got to have the offers too. Um, so, but like, yeah, I think, uh, gosh, like Simmons for three, Andrelton Simmons for barely over thirty million for a couple of years is pretty good. I mean, there's some really good deals um, that that I think time teams got. That I mean, you, you got to ask, right? And some of these guys, I like, I you and I went back and forth a bit on Ozuna, but you know, once it got to a bidding area, it's like, okay, that's not going to work for for us. Um, but some of the guys, as I you know watched them sign, I was like, man, I would really like to have that contract. So, although I will say, I don't think Tommy Lestella is getting to. 20 million for two years. I'm, I'm going to take the under on that one. <laughs> uh, Alex, you were one of the early bidders on Trevor Bauer. In fact, you had a really, really strong offer that I thought was going to win the day early on. Uh, I think you offered five years, $150 million. Um, uh, ended up going kind of significantly higher. Uh, what was kind of, did you learn anything from that free agent bidding process? And, and uh, what was kind of your, your attack strategy when it came to free agents? Yeah, so kind of going back to the not letting Mike Trout squander away his prime, I was I was going to load up on starting pitching if I could. I think I got John Lester at one year, 13 mil, which, you know, uh, I, I don't think in a normal year is too much. I don't know that he'll get 13 mil this year, but, you know, no such thing as a bad one-year deal. As it relates to Bauer, I, I think Bauer is one of the three best pitchers in baseball. I think Bauer is – you know, the, the data that he puts in and, and the science they put into his work in the offseason makes me confident in his ability to pitch deeper into that contract and, and pitch well deeper into that contract. And so I think that this is kind of where the simulation gets a little simulate is, <laughs> you know, what, what did he end up getting? He ended up getting like really close to 40 million per year, right? 
Uh, let's see, two fifteen over six years. Let me do the math on that. That's gonna be like thirty-seven, I think. Yeah, so, yeah I just don't yeah. think. Unless he signs a one or two year deal, I don't think he's getting six at thirty seven. So um, that's you know I, I do th- the guy that was running San Diego. I was actually I was trying to trade um, for Chris Paddock, and while I was bidding for Trevor Bauer, just kind of seeing which would fall first, and I told him, hey, um, you know I feel really good about something I've got going on. I don't know that I'm going to be able to take Paddock, and he goes, oh okay, no worries. And then pretty soon you te- you had texted me back said basically Bauer's going to get thirty seven. I'm like, well, what on earth? So I had I had literally gone to accept his offer for Paddock when you mentioned that he when you put in the in the group chat that he was going to San Diego. I was like, oh no no no, you can <laughs> you can you can have both of them. I don't want, I'm not giving you anything for Paddock anymore. So it was kind of funny that that you know the 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 back and forth there. Um, it reminded me of the scene from Moneyball where he's like, nah, you played me, man. You played me. What you talking about? Um, I think Johnny Damon really early in the movie, um, but yeah, I mean, I just I don't think he's getting anywhere close to thirty-seven over six years, and maybe I'm wrong, especially this off season. But I don't know. That's where, like, uh, the, you know, the Padres. It, it's it's easy to run a simulation over a one-year period where the Padres are going to pay Tatis pretty soon. The Padres are going to have to continue to pay Manny Machado. They're going to figure out what to do with Trent Grisham pretty soon. And I don't know if they have the the long term capacity to, to sign a player like Bauer for that long for that kind of money, um, but uh, you know I, I really thought it was it spoke highly of what people think of Trevor Bauer, who I think he's just he's great for the sport. Um, but you know the whole the whole process there was it was really a lot of fun. Yeah, like, you know, it's one of the limitations I think is we're just dealing with kind of the short term, and so. I mean, really, you could just let the future go to pot, <laughs> you know, if you're when signing some of these deals. But you know, sometimes that happens in real life. I mean, guys, there's a lot of GMs that sign deals that you know really get their team in a bad bind when it comes to the payroll uh, because they weren't thinking about the future. I think that happened. They used to happen a lot more than it does now. Now teams are almost like hyper aware of payroll flexibility. But man, that used to happen all the time back in the day, where teams would sign deals and you look at their future payroll commitments and say like. Man, how are they going to pay for all these guys down the road? Uh, well, yeah, it got me really, really good with the with the Angels running the Angels. Is I had Pujols on the hook for thirty mm-hmm. this year. I had Justin Upton on the hook for twenty two over the next two seasons, both with a full no trade. I couldn't move seventy million dollars in payroll over the next two years. And so, when you have a guy, when you when you have the greatest baseball player that's ever lived on your roster, he's twenty nine. He's played in three playoff games. Got his but spanked in all three, like there, I couldn't do anything to help him. I mean, like I said, I got John Lester on a one-year deal. You know, I could have gotten, you know, Bauer potentially, but I got outbid. Like there was just nothing I could do in the restraints of the budget you gave us to help Mike Trout because they paid Albert Pujols and because they paid Justin Upton, you know, enormous amounts of money. Yeah. Well, that's it's always a fun exercise, and I, I always like seeing what you guys come up with as far as trades and and seeing how high the numbers go for the free agents. Uh, we'll post. Uh, we already have all Max, the. Oh, yeah, good. Let me ask. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you get this every year. I'm sure one of these happens every year. What was what was the biggest like eye opening like uh, kind of like what the heck is going on trade that you saw this year? Uh, you know, you don't throw anybody under the bus if you don't want to. But what trade came in? You're like whoa really you know something crazy like that you know usually every year there's one i mean there was one that was so bad like the first year that i nixed it which kind of raised ire uh because i was like there's no way they would make that trade and um you know i eventually had to let it through because i'm like well it's your guys's your guys's simulation uh but you know see every year there seems to be one like just real like what are you guys doing trade and i don't think nothing really comes to mind this year um there were some surprising trades, but um, I mean, actually, the the Joe Adele trade was surprising, but not like, oh man, that's a totally bad trade for that team. It was more like, okay, that's that's an aggressive deal for both teams, but I can see how it makes sense for both of them. Uh, I don't know. Is there something? Is there one that stands out to you? I don't think so. You guys had one. I thought everybody was pretty. I think this is the best year that we've had from a sense of like. Real, you know, real, most realistic, realistic payroll, yeah. most realistic trades and everything. I, I thought it was great. What do you guys have? Anything? No, I, I, I think it was it was 
it was pretty good. And, you know, I think um, I've done this probably, I want to say either four or five years. I know I did the Mariners once. I did the White Sox. I've done the Royals twice. I don't know if there's a, there's a 15. But, uh, you know, when I, when I first started, started uh, you know, filling in, and then later when I took over for the Royals, I think one of the things um, that we sort of that, that's really obvious is just how different it is in real life when there are other people trying to do things versus having it all in your head at the same time, right? So it's easy to say like, oh, why don't the Royals trade blank player to blank team for blank, you know, uh, for blank return? And in reality, there's lots of things going on. For instance, um, I was in talks to get um, or to trade for Dominic Smith, uh, first baseman of, of the Mets. Now it ultimately didn't happen. Um, but as I was doing it, I was uh, also getting some interest in Hunter Dozier. And I didn't intend on trading Dozier, um, but I thought I might be able to get Dominic Smith. So that sort of allowed me, you know, the, the flexibility to start listening on Dozier. And then that, that you know, um, even though I didn't get Smith, um, it allowed me to trade Dozier because I got some, you know, some, some good offers on him. Um, and that's just one example. Um, you know, other examples are like, um, if you are trying to sign a free agent, but you don't know what's going on, um, you know, and things are, are, are dependent on each other to an extent, right? So you need uh, a third baseman. This is, you know, just theoretical, right? So you are also in talks to trade for a third baseman, but you're also uh, determining whether or not you can sign um, free third baseman free agent X, right? Um, those things are all happening at, at different times. You can't just sit there in a vacuum and be like, yes, I would like this trade or I would like this transaction over this transaction. Well, guess what? Sometimes transactions fall, fall through. Somebody outbids you, you know, somebody trades for something, you know, something gets, uh, you know, uh, messed up due to varying timing, timing things. Um, and the reality is, is that it's really hard, um, to, to carry out moves and carry out the, a strategy that you came in with, even when, as we have discussed uh, earlier, um, we don't have like the repercussions that a real life GM would, right? So, like, if we spend thirty million dollars and it's over budget, you know, oh well. But if a GM does, you know, they could get fired for you know, overspending eventually. Um, it's really hard to get everything sort of aligned and carry out your plan. And we are not real GMs. You know, real GMs have to deal with all of this timing stuff. They have to deal with all kinds of, um, you know, weird things. They have to deal with, uh, you know, thinking of Salvador Perez as more than just a baseball player for the Royals. You know, um, they have to think about all these things. And, you know, being in the simulation just makes it really obvious uh, very quickly just how many moving parts there are even when you're fake doing an offseason you know I, I, I can't imagine running a real life baseball team in an offseason when the stakes are so much higher so, so Sean I did find the the trade that this stood out to me uh, and, and actually it's much milder than usual but so the, the Cubs traded Chris Bryant who's in the last year of his uh, club control to the Mariners of all teams for Emerson Hancock, their their first their top five pick from this year, George Kirby and Julio Rodriguez, which, you know, maybe on paper that's a good, uh, okay trade, but, like, the Mariners? Like, why would you trade for one year of Chris Bryant? And it's not like they went all in on, like, free agents this year. They they, they didn't really upgrade the team much other than Chris Bryant. And so I, that was kind of eye-opening, like, yeah. what, what, are you, what are you doing? What's the direction here? Um, but Yeah, that's... That's, I mean, that that's expensive, definitely. I remember uh, I, I talked to Rob about Bryant when I was kind of, you know, when I was kind of in the a lingo of what to do with third base-ish. And, like, yeah, I mean, it was uh, – his his ask was a little steeper than I was willing to pay for one year of Bryant, who's, who's obviously a good player. But um, I – given the choice of Lindor or Bryant, is like, okay, I'll take Lindor. So. Yeah, usually, like, the teams that um, – most general managers have are pretty clearly going in one direction or the other. Like the teams that are in to win it, they're pretty aggressive with free agents and trying making trades. The teams that are not in it are usually like like Matthew. I think every year he's he's run the Royals has been very aggressive about moving payroll off 
or taking on bad free agent contracts to get younger players. Yeah. Um, but like much more aggressively <laughs> than in the Royals would in real life, I think. But yeah. But it's the teams that like kind of are trying to do both that always kind of make the most confusing transactions, I think. Yeah. Matt, I went to you immediately when I was thinking, like, all right, I need to get rid of David Price and AJ Pollock. I, yeah, I messaged you immediately, thinking, like, I bet you Matt will take on some of this money if I if I throw in the right prospect. But it didn't work out. But well, uh, David Price is just owed so damn much. He's got yeah, like you know thirty million, and like at the time, I probably could have done it, but that would be like the rest of my moves. So I was just yeah. like, eh. I did. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who was running it in. And not to believe, you know, obviously we need to move on. But uh, I don't know who was running it back in 2017, going into 2018. But I did trade Chris Davis and $69 million of his contract. Well, sorry, I t- traded Chris Davis for Bubba Starling and then some prospects on my end. And the Royals covered $69 million of Chris Davis's deal. So the Royals have always been a great source for a contract dump if I needed one. So I appreciate you guys always being willing to listen. It might have been Dugan, but... Uh, I that was So that was Dugan. I don't know what team that I was running, but you came to me with that deal and I was like, no, I'm not doing this. But <laughs> Dugan went ahead and did it. Yeah. I told Rob Huff, I was like, listen, I guarantee you I get someone to take 90% of David Price's money. And he didn't believe me, but I was like, I, I bet you I can do it. <laughs> challenge challenge accepted. Well, you can uh, you can read about all the transactions, all the signings, all the trades uh, at Royals Review right now. That uh, kind of summary of the, of the simulations up right now. And Matthew will have his Royals-centric uh, post of what he was thinking with the Royals and, and the moves he made. And you can read all about that this week as well. Uh, is that coming out Friday, Matt? Matthew? Yeah, I've scheduled it for 9 o'clock tomorrow, which right. could obviously move. Yeah, so you can check that out as well. And, uh, you know, like I said, just for fun to see. And it, I think it give you maybe a, an idea of what free agents might get, but but don't take it too seriously. And don't yell at Sean for uh, not getting more for his, uh, his trades. Uh, let's take yeah. a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about real baseball and the real offseason and uh, what the Royals might uh, do with this winter. Well, the Royals go into this offseason looking to upgrade the team and be more competitive, although financial losses from the pandemic may play a role in how much they spend and how other teams spend as well. Uh, last week, Hokias and David Lusky both wrote that, that the Royals could take advantage of austerity around baseball by, by going out and being aggressive when it comes to, came to spending. And Matthew, you, actually, you also wrote that the Royals could maybe zig where other teams zag by investing in player development a little bit. Um, I'm just curious, like, what do what do you guys expect the Royals to do this year when it comes to spending? Uh, I guess we can start with you, Matthew, since you wrote the an article kind of touching upon that a little bit. You know, are, you know the Royals, I think, have an opportunity here, and um, but at the same time, they have an ownership group that bought the team just as the sport was enduring losses. Um, what do you what do you kind of expect out of them? Uh, I probably expect them to. Um, well, that's a good question. I, I expect them to not do a whole lot, honestly, um, from a spending standpoint. Um, I think that they might spend, I don't know, maybe $20 million. Uh, this is just a guess. This, this is what I ended up spending for um, uh, in the sim uh, on one-year deals. And I think the Royals you know, generally spend you know, uh, you know, 10 to $20 million on, on one-year deals of, of some type. You know, they, they did some of that last year. Um, uh, so I suspect that they will um, look into some free agent starting pitching. I think what they'll do is um, they will uh, sign a veteran, maybe on a one-year deal, um, uh, depending on how much they want to spend, right? There are some other more expensive options. Um, and... So I think they'll get, they'll sign a starting pitcher of some variety. What that'll do is that look that'll let them shift Junis to the bullpen, um, and that'll basically serve as a buffer in case Coar or Lynch aren't ready this year, or in case of injury. I also think that they'll do a um, um, outfield uh, outfielder of some sort, um, and that's where I think they'll probably spend the most money if they do spend something. You know, a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr. is on the market, who's like a very royal player. Um, and uh, Jock Peterson, who I think could be really intriguing. You know, the Royals don't have a lot of lefties um, with that kind of power, um, so he could be uh, an option there. 
Um, so I suspect they will get a starting pitcher. I suspect they'll get an outfielder, um, but they'll they'll not not really go crazy. Um, what they do have that a lot of t- other teams don't is that they have like a ridiculous amount of payroll flexibility um, going forward. Um, they owe after this year, which is the last year of Danny Duffy and Salvador Perez's contracts. I mean, that's about thirty million dollars combined. They owe, I think, like three and a half million after this in guaranteed deals, and all of it is uh, Whit Merrifield's uh, deal. Um, so they really are in a great position to spend some money. If they do end up spending money, I think they will be gunning for extensions this year. I think there are like four guys who would make sense uh, as an extension. You know, Dozier and Soler are two of them. I think the most. Um, the guys that make the most sense are uh, Brady Singer and uh, Brad Keller. But all four of those guys are, are worthy of extensions, and I think the right extension would, would be a better use of the money than you know splurging on a free agent. Um, so, it, But it really just depends, right? I mean, you said you know the, the Royals um, have an ownership group that is um, brand new, and they haven't seen any of the profits from their purchase, and they've seen all of the debts and the downsides from their purchase. So it's really kind of a bit of a wild card what what they'll do. I know that the Royals are not going to be in play for the big free agents, but I think the main question, if the the TLDR of this conversation is, are the Royals going to spend thirty ish million dollars on a mid tier free agent, or are they just going to be really cheap and and stick to one year deals? And I don't think we really know the answer there. Yeah, it's a kind of financial flexibility that the Red Sox could really envy. I mean, they only have like 36 million some contract commitments next year uh arbitration guys will kind of run that up to about 70 million or so 75 million uh which is less than still under what they were scheduled to pay in payroll this year before the pandemic um so yeah you think that there's like 10 20 million dollars they could spend on one or two year guy deal guys uh but sean is there first of all i guess do you think that they'll go out and look to sign anyone and if so are there any uh free agents out there that you kind of have your eye on that you think could be potentially good fits for where the royals are right now um no i mean i don't think they will sign anybody major um i know that jeffrey flanagan of mlb.com said that the did he say the rebuild is over i, I don't want right, to get it yeah he said wrong. rebuild and that's just jeffrey flanagan but I, yeah. you know obviously he has the ear of a lot of people in. in the Royals organization and and, and so yeah. he in a mailbag said that the, the rebuild is over they plan to win yeah. so maybe they feel comfortable and maybe they do like a Gilmesh kind of signing hopefully it works out but I think Gilmesh signing but hope, maybe they do something like that where they splurge a bit not on the pitcher obviously I think they feel good there but maybe they splurge on an, an outfielder or um, you know, I don't think they do a first baseman I, I'm yeah, yeah, I don't know. An outfielder, I think, would be the most likely uh, scenario. Um, so, you know, I was literally just pulling up the the free agent tracker as we were talking. Um, I remember seeing a couple guys there, that are like I think Jackie Bradley Jr. is on the list. Just guys that like made absolute sense. Like, oh yeah, this is the kind of guy that um, you think that they would go to. Um, so, I don't know. I, I do think that there could be a little bit spent. I could foresee like a twenty-five, thirty million dollar deal, give or take. Um, but I mean, they're not going to be kind of like in consideration for any of the big guys like a Trevor Bauer or something, obviously. So, um, otherwise I would assume they, they keep going with the bargain bin of the, um, relievers and maybe hopefully find a, um, a fourth outfielder for cheap or some sort of infielder they can flip. But, um, I wouldn't say thankfully, but the free agent market isn't great to begin with this year. Like, you know, there's, it's not just star studded. Um, so they don't have any reason to really go be big spenders because they shouldn't be dropping, you know, 150 million on George Springer or something, right? They, not that it is their MO, but they have no reason to, to even consider it. So maybe a Jock Peterson or someone. Um, we joked, a couple people joked on Twitter about them bringing back like Billy Hamilton or trying to find their guys. So like Matt Joyce, uh, gosh, who else is on that list? Oh, Ma- oh, Malik right. Smith is a guy that I've heard yeah. of. Like, yeah. oh, they're going to, because he's really fast and he can't hit. Right. So yeah. Yeah, 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 I can see them bringing in someone like. Although he, I think, believe he's already signed with the Mets. He signed a minor league deal with the Mets, so oh, okay. that avoid okay. will avoid that that uh, that signing. But, well, Michael A. Taylor is available. Uh, I, I think it's Michael A. Taylor. They always listen to Michael Taylor. I'm going to guess it's not Michael Taylor from the 
athletics. I'm going to guess it's Michael A. Taylor from the uh, the Nationals and and the Diamondbacks. Or isn't isn't Gerard Dyson available? He is, but he's also what thirty six. Yeah. And he was hurt yeah. When has that ever stopped the Royals? Yeah, yeah. I I don't. I, Part of me thinks that they weren't really that high on Draw Dyson as a mm-hmm. clubhouse dude, so I'd yeah. be kind of surprised if there was a re- now, re- there. Now, Brett Gardner is available. That's that's a Dayton name, in, in my opinion. Gritty white guy who can play some defense and make some contact. Yeah, clubhouse leader. Knows how to win because he's been on... Oh, uh, wait, has he been on a... He's been on a World Series winning team, right? I think he was maybe on the... He was he on the Yankees? I don't know. It's been so long since the Yankees have won one. Yeah, maybe he hasn't been. It was 08 or 09, right? Yeah, uh, he must have been on one of those teams. I think he had to look up his oh baseball performance page, but he, I think he was uh, on that team. He was on the 09 Yankees, yeah. and he was on the 08 Yankees. Um, I don't remember which one of them won. I, uh, I forget. Nick Markakis is available. I've, I've long thought Nick Markakis would be a guy that would pique their interest, but he's kind of at the point of his career where I think he'll he's either going to yeah. be a fourth outfielder for contender or retire. Like I don't think he would slum it with the Royals. And that's kind of part of the problem is like, they kind of have to get guys that um, are don't have a lot of options. Like Trevor Rosenthal, let's be honest, he didn't have a lot of options last year because he had, you know, been with the Nationals and the Tigers and I think the Yankees as well, and uh, didn't pitch well at all for any of them. And so he kind of turned to his hometown team and said, so "Like, well, they've got they've got innings to parcel out, and maybe I can get some of those innings and turn my career around." And lo and behold, he did. Um, so they they kind of have to go for guys like that. So, you know, I don't I don't they have financial flexibility, but I just don't know if there's really anyone that I don't know if it makes sense for them to actually go after any significant free agents. I mean, because there's been some some talk from Jeffrey Flanagan and others that they maybe they'll pursue a free agent outfielder, um, which I could see maybe like a depth guy like a like yeah. Robbie Grossman. Like he's like they've been talking about getting adding on base percentage. He's an on base percentage guy. He doesn't have a lot of power, doesn't have very good defense, but he, he draws walks. And he's kind of a foul, fourth outfielder type. And uh, you can probably get him on like a one year, two million dollar deal or something like that. Um, that would make some sense, I guess, as a stopgap. So you don't have you know, so maybe Khalil Lee takes over in July or or Kyle Isabel takes over in July. But it doesn't really make sense, you know, you've got Whit Merrifield is going to play in the outfield. You've got uh, Franchi Cordero, who, if healthy, will probably play some time in the outfield. Edward Olivares, who still, I think, is more of a fourth outfielder, but I'd like to see what he could do. He's going to get some playing time. You've got um, technically Bubba Starling on the roster, although I think the time is running out for him. And then you've got Isabel and Khalil Leo coming up. So I think there's room maybe for one guy there to be like a one-year guy that's a stopgap. Um, another guy I think that could be a possibility, Kevin Pillar, who doesn't bring on base percentage, kind of the opposite of Grossman, um, in that he's a really good defender um, with a little bit of power, but doesn't um, get on base at all. Um, so I think that makes sense a little bit. Uh, you can get him on like a one-year, four or five million dollar deal. Um, but I don't, the, you know, the, the rotation, Matthew, you mentioned Jacob Jun is going to the pen. There's been a lot of people talking about that, but I, I don't know. I don't see why you would have to do that. It's not, you know, just and if you're to do that and add a starting pitcher, like, what's the point of that? Like, um, you know, Junis isn't great starting, but he's not, like, uh, you know, he's not embarrassing himself out there. And he's a nice guy to kind of start out there for the first two months until Jackson Coar or Daniel Lynch or Aza Lacey's ready. And then you can move him to the pen at that point if he's not really performing very well. Uh, I'd rather do that than, like, sign a guy for a one- or two-year deal. And then you're kind of stuck with that guy. Uh, and, 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 you know, maybe there's guys out there that can sign that can move to the bullpen, but um, I don't. I guess I don't see what the point of doing that would be at this point. Um, you know, this isn't – the Royals, they've got some, you know, promising young prospects, but this isn't like 2013 where they go out and get Irvin Santana and James Shields, and it's like, oh, well, you know, they're on the verge of being competitive because they're not. They're, they're still another – probably a year or two away. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't see them really doing much in free agency at all. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I think we find – so I think uh, the past few years um, – I mean, we, we've kind of complained. Uh, okay, maybe not complained, but we've, we've talked about how all the Royals have had is playing time. They've had opportunity for 
to bring guys in, right? We've we've talked about for for the past few years. If it's like, okay, well, they have plenty of playing time to go around. I mean, who's Chris Owens? Like, like who who are they going to start? They got tons of opportunities to try guys out, be it free agents, be prospects. We're kind of getting to the point where the playing time isn't quite as ample in the sense of like, oh, who cares how? We'll throw someone, we'll throw so and so out there for three hundred plate appearances, and if they stink, we'll try someone else. Like, there's a lot of positions that seem pretty solidly like, okay, this is the 600 plate appearance guy. Um, I'm just looking through Fangraph's like roster resource, their projected lineup. I mean, Merrifield's a lock, Monesey's a lock, Perez is a lock, or Solaire's a lock, Franco seems like a lock, Dozier's a lock, Lopez is a lock. Um, so, I mean, you've got first base, which who knows what they're going to do with O'Hearn. Maybe Isbell plays there. Um, well, I think Hunter Dozier's, then, I think Hunter Dozier's probably more likely that at first base at this oh, point. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and then which would put like Oliveras in last. So the only ones I could see would be, yeah, O'Hearn and, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Franco you could toss up, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. But, I mean, we playing time does not seem quite as ample as it did, um, which, long story to wrap it back around, um, that could make a free agent signing less likely, as you were kind of saying. There's not a ton of room to necessarily go around, and particularly not in the rotation, right? I mean, we're pretty certain on who who's going to be in the starting rotation and who's going to get the next shot up, um, given their their prospect kind of the the depth that they have. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's actually kind of a nice position to be in, where there aren't any like glaring holes where like we need to fill in with free agents, and you know, you got guys, you got young guys, you can give opportunities to. And so, uh, you know, it's just a matter of are those guys ready for those opportunities? And we'll have to see if, if the Royals feel like they, they are. Uh, we'll probably get more into specific free agents we like in, in, in uh, the next couple episodes, and especially if there are specific rumors involving the Royals. But, uh, but uh, you know, until then, I think we can say the Royals probably aren't going to be, like, dipping, the uh, you know, going into free agency that, that great. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe dipping their toe and trying to add some talent. Uh, Let's uh, wrap things up with our Royals review reviews. Matthew, do you want to kick it off this week? Yeah, sure. So I honestly don't under, don't remember if I have said this before, but if I have, it's been a long time. Um, I am rewatching the TV show The Expanse um, with my wife, who is watching it for the first time in preparation for the fifth season coming out, which is going to come out. Uh, next month, um, and they're going to have like, weekly episodes too, which I think is the right way to do it. Um, and The Expanse is um, kind of a really interesting uh, TV show because it follows the books uh, very closely. There's a book series called The Expanse, um, and the it's when it when it first started, it was sort of pitched as you know kind of Game of Thrones in space, and not in terms of like the um, violence or sexual content, which it doesn't have nearly as much as of, of either. Um, but in terms of um, there are political stuff going on, there's multiple points of view characters. Um, there are you know things going on in different parts of the solar system. Um, so if you liked Game of Thrones, you probably will like The Expanse, um, unless you're you know not a sci-fi person. But uh, it's just a really great show. Um, it's got action. Uh, it's got some really great character moments um, and it's set in an interesting um, sort of time period so a lot of science fiction is either set in like this extreme near future like 50 years from now right um, or it's set really far into the future like thousands of years from now um, and there's a whole, not a whole lot of science fiction um, relatively in the sort of mid future. So the expanse is set a few hundred years from now um, in a version of the solar system where we've colonized uh, Mars um, and the asteroid belt. And um, I think that's a really interesting thing to examine, you know, like after um, we deal with these initial, you know, things uh, on the horizon, like climate change, you know, what's it really look like in a few hundred years when we have the technology to go to Mars to do, um, you know, space travel, what's it look like? Um, and it's just, it's a really good show. Um, and I would highly recommend it. And it seems like, um, it has escaped the sort of like Netflix doom show. And what I mean by that is like a streaming service show that lasts for like two seasons and then get, that gets canceled. 
It's on Amazon Prime. It's entering its fifth season. I think its sixth season has been greenlit, so it's not going to be ending prematurely. Um, so if you're worried about that, or if you're if you're annoyed by that, um, the Expanse might just be the show for you. The Expanse. Yeah, I have to check that out. Uh, Sean, what do you have for us? Oh, I'm a little. Uh, you know, I trash on <laughs> cable TV. Well, excuse me, not cable TV. Uh, uh, gosh, uh, network? network TV. Yeah, sorry, network TV. Um, I like to kind of trash on that a lot. Pretty much every show stinks, including Young Sheldon, which I'm not afraid to say. Uh, but <laughs> I will say that I have been watching. It's on Netflix. It's called The Unicorn. Um, it is. Uh, gosh, I can't think of his name. Uh, Walter Goggins. Uh, yeah. Walter, Walter Goggins. I'm totally blanket today. It's got Walter Goggins, um, Rob Corddry, Omar Benson Miller. Um, it's it's about a widow. Is widower the is widower masculine or is yes. it just female? Widow, widower okay. would be the male version. Yes. Okay. Um, so it's about a widower whose uh, yeah wife passed away and he's finally getting in there and he's a unicorn um, because he's been married and he's single and he's got kids and for some reason they call him a, a unicorn but it's actually kind of funny. Um, you know, Walter Goggins is great. Uh, I think he got picked up for a second season. I think actually second season just came out, um, which might be why the first season is on Netflix now. So if I can recommend a comedy that's on network television, as much as it pains me to say, um, I will say The Unicorn is pretty decent. You know, I mean, it's not Seinfeld, but uh, it's enjoyable. And, you know, it's your single, I mean, it's your it's your typical you know, single camera show. So it's a whopping 18 episodes, but it, it's pretty good. I think there's something to be said for a network show that's just kind of funny and doesn't like, you know, have any deeper meaning to that and just goes yeah. for a couple silly laughs. Um, yeah. It we, reminded me of uh, Fox had a show called The Grinder, which Max, you had to have seen since you're a lawyer. Oh, uh, no, I'd heard good things about it. It's, um, it's, that was with uh, Fred Savage and Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. Yeah. Dude, it, it is so good. I can't believe they canceled it. Uh so yeah, I mean, there's very few shows, but like this is what the the unicorn reminds me of the grinder. We're just like okay, like not trying to be like Big Bang Theory or something. It's just kind of a unique premise with some good dialogue and you know funny moments and and it's not like slaps the comedy or Two and a Half Men. There's no laugh track, um, so it, it's good. But yeah, anyways, the unicorn. Yeah, Walter, on NBC and Walter Goggins. Or CBS. Is, uh, yeah, CBS. R- right after Young Sheldon. I wouldn't know because uh, <laughs> I would never watch you know, the lead-in or the show before it. I might throw off CBS except for football. Yeah, uh, my Royals review reviews this week is uh, it was an article at NPR this week. Uh, not to get too political, but it was just about the history of the presidential concession. Uh, just you know, there's nothing requiring a concession. There's nothing uh, you know legally that uh, presidential candidates have to concede. Uh, it actually didn't start until 1896 when William Jennings Bryant sent a telegram to William McKinley, uh, kind of congratulating him and, um, and it just kind of going over the history of it. And, uh, you know, I think it's kind of remarkable because a lot of these elections are pretty, uh, tense and sometimes nasty. And you're talking about people getting to the apex of their careers and getting within a, you know, a, a, a short grasp of the most powerful position on earth and losing, uh, that's gotta be considered a, you know, to, to them, maybe a, a personal failure or or certainly a, a very devastating night for them and yet a lot of the you know almost all of them handle it with a tremendous amount of grace uh and uh and really patriotism and so two of the speeches that really stand out to me uh 2000 uh al gore who had a very you know bitter legally contested election with george w bush um that of course took months and and uh, and you know there's a lot of uh argument on both sides but once the Supreme Court kind of handed out its judgment, it was clear that George W. Bush would be inaugurated. Uh, Al Gore does give a very conciliatory concession speech congratulating uh, President Bush and calling for unity, which the country kind of needed at that point. So that kind of stands out. And the other one that really stands out um, was 2008 when John McCain uh, lost to Barack Obama. And McCain goes out of his way to kind of uh, congratulate Barack Obama for being the first African-American president, showing a lot of uh, grace and humility in his speech as well. Uh, and so I think those two really stand out, and um, uh, you know, it's, I, I think it's really interesting. I don't, I don't know if I would 
handle it as very as well as a lot of the people that have uh, lost in, in, in history. But uh, uh, just kind of interesting to look back at, at the history of the concession speech. That's over at NPR. Uh, you can check that out. So the uh, the McCain one was so good. I'll, I'll I will occasionally go watch that just because of how great of a moment it is. Um, just kind of and as you said, kind of admitting that you've been beaten and going out on a high note. And there's a really great moment in that McCain one, I, I think, is where uh, they start booing Obama. Um, and McCain says, no, 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 like you need to cheer for Obama. And so I, I, that's one of my favorite speeches. It's strange. It's a, it's a, you know, concession speech, but it's one of my favorite speeches, just period. How, how great he handled that. Yeah. There's kind of a lot of down ballot speech, you know, candidates like Senate candidate races when you'll see them in the ballroom and they usually do that. Like, Oh, I've just called so-and-so and they, people start booing <laughs> and they always have to say, no, 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 it's good. He ran a good race. And then, uh, uh, which is interesting because yeah, because usually those you know those races get pretty heated and pretty oh, yeah. nasty at times, and I hope that's something you know going forward that we we preserve because I think there is something to be said about being you know handling your loss with with grace and and compassion and and patriotism you know because we are all Americans and we all want what's best for America yeah. even if we have different um, you know ways of how we want to do that. I always laugh at the uh, the presidential races in the sense of like these guys spend or excuse me these men or women um, spend you know two years effectively just slinging mud at each other and then once <laughs> one of them wins the election and they have the uh, uh, like the swearing in process it's like oh now I've got to be not like they usually get invited and so they've got to sit there and like <laughs> shake hands or like even this past one where Trump had to sit kind of semi close to Hillary because Clint because Bill was a ex president so it's just kind of funny how. You talk crap all this time, and then you've got to be nice to these people. You know, it's it's weird. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thanks to Sean, Matthew, and Alex. Who I'm, you know, Alex had a bow out uh, at the end here, but thanks uh, so much for him for being on the show this week. And thank you to our readers and listeners for visiting our site, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.